Hello and welcome back to Conversations with the Mind. I'm your host as always, Shane LaMaster. I want to first start out by thanking all of our listeners and subscribers. Uh, You guys are the ones that make this possible and you guys are the ones that help us get this message out to other people. My hope with this podcast has always been that we engage people in interesting conversations, one mind talking to another mind, such that we can influence the collective mind out there, all of you listeners, and hopefully you can all take something from these podcasts and spread the message throughout your own social circles so that we can get more of these conversations happening with the goal of expanding human consciousness, with the goal of progressing as human beings and evolving our consciousness to better serve us and to serve our entire species. So I want to thank everybody who does listen, who likes and shares our podcasts. It's really up to you guys to help spread this message. Um, you can also uh, donate to the podcast if you like. Um, we, you know, I don't take any income from this podcast, but all donations that we do take in, which you can find at uh, on the podcast website, all those donations will go towards the future building of a podcast studio as well as uh, buying new microphones just so we can improve our message that goes out to you guys. So again, all these donations go back out to you guys uh, in an effort to make the message more clear and more understandable. So as always, we are sponsored by my private practice consulting company, MindOps. You can find us at mind-ops.com. We're a fully licensed um, private practice consulting and counseling um, company, and we specialize in general psychotherapy, addictions counseling, uh, psychedelic integration therapies, and sport and performance psychology. So if you have any sort of mental health needs, or if you just want to look to improve the way that your mind works for you in your life, feel free to reach out to us at any time on our website. If you have any questions or comments for myself or my guests, you can always reach out to us on our website. We have a comments section, and there's also a comments section attached to the podcast itself. So, on to our good news story for the day. Our goal with this good news section is always to spread a little positivity and joy in your life, um, as we are all um, quite heavily influenced by the inputs coming into our perception day to day, and it seems like most of us are flooded with more negativity than positivity. So in an effort to rebalance your mindset, um, we like to put out a good news story for the day. Today's good good news story again comes from the Good News Network. And the title of the article says, City installs vending machines that recycle plastic in subway stations in exchange for free transportation. I find this article um, extremely promising and hopeful and you know, makes me feel happy. Um, so we all know that we have a trash problem here on this planet. And uh, in an effort to help reduce the amount of um, recyclable trash that ends up in landfills, let's see, um, this comes from Istanbul. And they have installed vending machines in their subway stations where people can come in and um, deposit plastic, deposit aluminum, Um, deposit any sort of recyclable material and if it reaches a certain level of uh, of materials that go in you get a free subway pass for the day Um, I feel like this is extremely um, it's gonna be a very useful thing uh, for us in in our society and hopefully bring some more mindfulness and awareness around how people dispose of their trash and their recyclables and give them some more incentive to start recycling you know if it will benefit them um, on a daily basis with the with their transport. So Istanbul is doing this now. We'll see how it how it pans out. Hopefully, maybe in the U.S. we can um, initiate something like this. And at the end of this article, it does mention briefly um, another program similar to this in Moscow, Moscow, Russia, that says that they give a free ticket to anybody who can complete at least 30 squats in two minutes, which I think is awesome. Um, you know, promoting physical fitness, promoting um, physical um, abilities in order to, and, and personal health, and then giving people some kind of reward, some tangible incentive to, um, to focus on this a little bit more. This sort of struck my attention because, uh, I don't know about you guys, but on my Facebook feed recently, I've been getting a lot of... Um, ads for life insurance 
and it's been it's been saying that these new insurance programs are coming out that if you can perform a certain uh, physical feat within a certain amount of time, you can get a, a certain lowered rate on your life insurance, which I think is an awesome benefit. Um, I definitely think life insurance should, and all insurance rates should be based more on someone's actual health um, and physical abilities. So that that's a really cool thing that's coming out. Um, maybe it will incentivize people to get a little healthier if they know they can save some money on their life insurance and um, realize that in the long term they're going to save a lot more money uh, with their medical benefit or with their medical interventions later in life too. So money saving all around and you benefit from positive health, positive mindset and um, yeah, it seems to influence everything positively in your life. So that's our good news story for today. My guest today is a very special guest, a friend of mine. Um, his name is Tom. Um, and Tom and I met, um, must have been a couple years ago. Um, he moved to the area from Scotland, yeah. right? So born, uh, born and raised in Michigan. Yep. Moved yes. to Scotland for his graduate degree and then moved back here to the U.S. and um, wound up in Fort Collins, Colorado. He sought me out uh, because I am a certified mental performance consultant through the Association of Applied Sports Psychology, and he was also interested in pursuing that credential. And in order to um, get that credential in our field, uh, what's required is, is obviously a master's degree in, in the field, but also um, internship experience as well as mentor mentorship by somebody who's already certified. So Tom sought me out as a mentor um, towards his certification, and we've been working together for a couple years now. Uh, Tom has grown in leaps and bounds in his um, consulting abilities and uh, has really taken off and started his own consulting practice here locally as well as um, you know across the U.S. He, he consults with professional athletes um, in a number of different sports. Um, through uh, t what we call telehealth or telecommunication, so through Skype sessions, which we also offer through MindOps as well. So um, I want to welcome you, Tom. Thank you for being here. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah. Um, now I want to start, uh, like I start all my podcasts, and I want to ask you the same question I ask all my guests, which is, you know, the, the podcast name is Conversations with the Mind, and my listeners know what that means to me. You know, that I created this podcast in a, in a sense to have a venue for one mind to, to converse with another mind mm -hmm. in an effort to add knowledge through our shared experience or through our differing experience to the collective mind, almost like uh, an Akashic Records. Um, so I feel like we have this giant knowledge base and... Um, if we can come together and share our knowledge and get it out on, on a venue such as a podcast like this, then the ripples that we create can be much larger. You know, we can affect a lot more people. And um, in the field that you and I are in with performance and um, performance psychology, sports psychology, it's all about optimizing life experience, whether it's optimizing your experience in athletics, optimizing your experience at work, optimizing your experience in relationships. That's what performance psychology is all about. It's optimizing the mind so that it works best for you. So to you, when I, when I say the phrase conversations with the mind, how does that resonate and what comes up for you? What does that, what does that phrase mean to you in your own life? Uh, I think initially, you know, when you had said that, you know, hit me with that question. Uh, what do you think of conversations with the mind? I think initially I just thought of it uh, as a way to learn you know, of how we make sense of the world, you know, the psychological framework of how we see the world and, you know, like you said, how we optimize the mind. That's sort of what we've dedicated our professional lives to. And, you know, for me, you know, automatically it was just a way to learn, you know, to build an awareness around the human experience, you know, and how we make sense of our day-to-day -day life and how we can get better on a daily basis. Nice. Yeah. So it sounds like, for the most part, it sounds like uh, conversations with the mind to you means conversations within our own minds, like the inner dialogues that we have 
in order to learn to Absolutely. grow. Yeah, and using each other to, you know, even bring that to another level, to build that awareness around, you know, who we are, why we do what we do, and how we make sense of that. Nice. Yeah. So how do you use the conversations within your own mind in order to get better? Oh, well, you know, I think that's a huge influence, you know, something that a lot of us tend to forget. You know, we all have this self-talk reel that spins in our minds, you know, and a lot of the times if, if we even take a moment to think, oh, is there this self-talk reel spinning? You know, that's it. You know, that's the conversation we've had. And, um, you know, I think it's a big part of who we are and, and our potential success in anything we do, you know, whether it's sports or education, entrepreneurship, you know, being a soldier. Because um, we all have, you know, and there's research to say that we have about 50 to 60,000 thoughts per day, you know, that wheel around in our minds. And, you know, a lot of research says that a significant chunk of that is negative, mm-hmm. is fear-based, judgmental. Um, so how do we deal with that? Mm-hmm. And that's sort of where I've dedicated, you know, my education and my professional livelihood is to sort of figuring out how to manage that, not only for myself, but for those I come across. Sure. And with, yeah. with 50,000 thoughts coming in our mind every day, you know, how many of those thoughts do you think most people are even aware of? Oh, probably a very small percentage. Very few. Maybe 100 Per day? Maybe, maybe, maybe. This might even be the first time for a lot of people even thinking, "Oh, I, I am having a conversation with myself," mm-hmm. um, and it matters. Mm-hmm. It does matter. Yeah. And there's almost uh, an old stigma that goes along with that too, right? Um, where we, you know, I've heard many times like maybe it was in our cultural upbringing or something, but you you see somebody walking down the street who's talking to themselves. And we think that person must be crazy, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. Or someone says, you know, I had this conversation in my head the other day, and you know, there's a stigma that, oh my God, this person might be, you know, schizoaffective or schizophrenic or something like that. Something, yeah. But something's the, off, right? But the fact is yeah. that we all have these conversations in our mind, and that it's perfectly healthy, and perfectly normal. And you know, I would even argue that the person walking down the street having a conversation with themselves might be even healthier. Than mm-hmm. the person who's not having a conversation with themselves, the person Absolutely. who's denying those conversations, you know, or repressing them. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and there's even a lot of science to back up the fact that, you know, what we verbalize is even that much more important. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you said, the person walking down the street verbalizing their thoughts, chances are what they might be saying has a big effect mm-hmm. on who they are and how they're making sense of whatever is going on for them. Uh, which we don't really think about a lot. You know, we think that most of our influence is based on external uh, influences. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, what we think and then how we project that really helps to create our own reality in yeah. some sense. Everything yeah. starts in the mind, really. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Every action starts with some sort of thought, whether conscious or subconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, so some sort of construct in the mind or a, a relation to a memory of the past or a history. Um, yeah, it all starts in the mind. Um, I don't know. I find this topic to be infinite in its, in its capability. Oh, yeah, we could go any which mm-hmm. way. Uh, and we have control over it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think is, if there's a silver lining, you know, I think it might scare people to start to think, you know, I am extremely negative in the way I talk to myself. Uh, but in some instances, you know, if you're willing to explore the techniques to better that, you know, you can. You can change that to your influence. Um, you know, negative thinking isn't something you have or don't have. It's just a result of whatever habits or programming you might have laid on to yourself over the years. And there's things you can do to help change that. So, it's, so this idea of control and having control over our thoughts... For me personally, it was very empowering uh, when, I, when I figured that out, that I, I could have more control. But for a lot of my clients, um, when I bring that idea up, that they can finally start to control these things, for some of them, there's this aspect of fear with it too. Because now, now that I have control over my thoughts and emotions, now I'm f- I have to be fully responsible. Yeah. I have to be fully yeah. accountable to how I feel and what exactly. I think. 
and how you know and you know that can play a role and play an impact on people too now they start thinking negatively about or maybe they're having the same negative thoughts that they've always had but now there's this new component that I'm doing this to myself and how dare I and and mm-hmm. um, shameful that I'm doing this to myself do you find that as well oh absolutely you know I feel like based on the field I'm in you know if I do find I'm in a space that is you know somewhat negative or dense uh, I feel like well how can you not pull yourself out like you have all the knowledge you know and I almost it becomes almost a self-terminating loop because I'm even more hard on myself because I feel like well you have the tools and if you don't have the tools you know you know where to go get them Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess in some instances it can create an even denser you know, uh, situation. If I tend to focus on it in that way, um, but like you, you know, I've found definitely some semblance immediately when I came to the realization that I can't control my thoughts, and not only that, but there's somebody in the background of my thinking, um, mm-hmm. and that's sort of a space you can go to through training uh, that sort of separates yourself from those thoughts and I've found that although it's very difficult to find that space sometimes and you know in some instances it doesn't really get easier (laughs) it's very comforting when you can find it Mm -hmm. because you know you detach from the story Mm -hmm. that you tell yourself so I personally come from a Buddhist background and what you're talking about here the Buddhists would would um, you know they have a label for this so they would call it you know, taking the observer's position. Mm, yeah, right? the observer, yeah. Right, so in normal, everyday, at least Western human psychology, it seems like, you know, we have this whirlwind of 30,000 thoughts going on, thirty to 50,000 thoughts going on a day, yeah. and we find ourselves smack dab right in the middle of this storm, this whirlwind, right? And we get caught up in it, and it, and it manifests as anxiety, nervousness, depression, guilt, shame, all these negative things, right? Um but the, what the Buddhists would say is, you know, it's the nature of the mind to whirlwind, you know, but we don't have to be right in the middle of it. We can actually pull our observation point outside of that whirlwind and observe it as if we're standing outside of the, the tornado, right? Absolutely. Just watching the thoughts spin. Yeah. And for me personally, learning about the uh, observer perspective as well as practicing it in my meditation um, has... You know, over the years, the more I developed this, has provided me one of the greatest tools to be able to deal with thoughts and emotions, especially hard ones that come up. Um, to see them not as you know, this is the truth, this is what life is right now, but instead remove myself and say, no, this is just what's going on in my head. Mm-hmm. You know that I don't have to feed in more energy into these thought spirals. I don't right. have to engage with them. Like I once thought, you know, these thoughts are happening to me and I can't get rid of them and I have to deal with them. No, I don't. I can step back and look at them from an analytical point of view, pick them apart um, in a more logical way and then find better solution. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's tough. It's tough to find that space sometimes. And it's a real surreal experience sometimes, though, because a part of me always wonders, like, well, who's that person? You know, because I think to some extent... Who's the observer? Who's the observer? You know, who is that? Because uh, I think we self-identify with so many of those thoughts, and we convince ourselves that, you know, that's who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's somebody who's not confident or, you know, even if it's a positive thing, we may self-identify with, and, you know, it becomes part of the foundation of who we think we are. But, you know, I found that when you are able to find that observer spot, it uh, you sort of stretch those threads you know from your identity and you know for me personally it's it's a very comforting thing you know Mm -hmm. I I understand how for some people it might be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um, because it's you know it feels like this different entity somewhat Mm -hmm. I don't know but at the same time is I don't know it's hard to put the words to it to some extent uh it's just very comforting to mm-hmm. find that space. And I find that um, I try to help, you know, whether it's the athletes I work with or the businesses I go into, to help people try to find that spot. Because when you do find it, you can operate from there with so much more clarity and 
authenticity and you know it becomes so much easier to listen to what we might call your intuition mm-hmm. uh you know so i think you know if you are able to go find it you know through meditation or mindfulness or any which way you know you can be quiet with yourself uh it can be extremely beneficial you know, and powerful mm-hmm. to some extent yeah. And you said scary as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a little scary. Because it's, I think it's yeah. mostly scary because it's uncharted territory for yes. a lot of people. It's unfamiliar yeah. mm-hmm. um, to realize that, you know, our thoughts are not facts. Yes. You are yeah. not your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Thoughts are just happenings that happen in your mind. That's the nature of mind. They're just things, you know? Right. And you mentioned earlier, you know, some of our new, for, for those of you listeners who don't, um, you know, I'm a total nerd for quantum mechanics and quantum <laughs> okay. physics, yeah, and so sweet. I don't really yeah. have a degree in that, but I study that stuff in my free time all the time, and there's lots and lots of evidence showing that our thoughts have very physical, uh, a very physical reality, too. So every thought that we have has a very specific vibration and frequency that actually leaves um, our body, our, our skull, wherever that thought originates from, and it goes out into our... Uh, manifest 3d world and influences it right so our thoughts have very real measurable impact on our external world and our external world interacts with these these thoughts or these frequencies these waves and so in a sense you know our thoughts can have substance um oh absolutely and we can use that and engage that um that power like you said with control Mm -hmm. and learning that you know our negative thoughts do have impacts on our physical world our positive thoughts have just as strong, if not more powerful, impact on our world. And if we choose how we want to influence the world, we're going to receive similar feedback coming back. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you know, it stems in the mind. Mm-hmm. And if we can you know, start to harness that power to our benefit, it, it can really help to shape, you know, what may happen next. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it reminds me of just a a story that I, I like to unpack with a lot of groups or teams that I go and talk to and I find like it's a it's a very powerful story because it sort of illustrates you know the power of the mind and the power of self-belief and the power of what we tell ourselves mm-hmm. uh, and there was this man who uh, was inevitably very successful he was a lawyer entrepreneur you know had Uh, cultivated a significant amount of income based on what he's done throughout his life Um, but if you had taken it a couple steps back uh, it probably wouldn't have looked that way starting out and it all started in high school he was told you know by whether it was his school his parents or perhaps himself to go take the SAT uh, which I believe is what out of 1800 it was... 1850 or something like that? It used to be. Now, now they redid the, okay. the point system. Right. That's out of like 180. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. So it was the old scoring yeah. system. Uh, and his parents had encouraged him, you know, go take this test, see, you know, what you get, because maybe college might be a goal for you. And at the time, he just didn't necessarily have the grades, the work ethic, and none of the skills that could be attributed to somebody who we might call a successful academic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he went and took it, you know, to the best of his ability. And, you know, came back and eventually got his score back and, you know, got a 1600, which, you know, essentially means he's very intelligent. You know, he's better than 95% of his peers, you know, and he showed it to his parents and his parents, you know, are pretty much convinced he must have cheated mm. because... <laughs> How just, unfortunate. Right, I know. Which, it, you know, something didn't line up. You know, who he was just didn't line up with a score like that. But he started to have this belief of, I'm pretty smart. Mm-hmm. And if I set my mind to whatever I want to do, I have the tools to make that happen. So he started to recognize what some of the, I guess, more intelligent students were doing. And started to instill that in his own habits. Uh, inevitably got into Princeton University you know, and then graduated, you know, started a very successful business. And, you know, the rest is history, I guess what they say. And the best part is, you know, it would be a couple of years later, he would get another letter, you know, from the SAT, 
board, it seems that they randomly go over test scores to see if they've made mistakes. And he did get this letter in the mail, he opens it, you know, and it explains to him that, you know, unfortunately we had sent out a score of 1600 to you, what you actually got was 600. Mm. Which essentially means you are not intelligent, you know, you are barely better than a handful of your peers. Um, and to me that sort of illustrates the fact that, you know, what you tell yourself is so much more powerful, you know, although you know, he did have a low test score, he started to believe, I'm intelligent, I can do what I set my mind to. And not only that, you know, the belief what you have, I think is very important, but letting it cascade from there and then lining up your decisions on a daily basis to align with that decision, you know, is sort of, I think, what inevitably changed his trajectory, you know, was having that belief I am intelligent and then doing the things to own up to that belief and you know I think it probably changed his life just that one mishap you know that wrong score in the mail sure and whether we <clears throat> we're acting off of false information or not doesn't really matter right it does not matter we know that yeah. <clears throat> we know that you know and this has been validated through lots of research that the placebo effect is extremely powerful right someone can be given a sugar pill told that it's a cure for their cancer right exactly. and they take this believing that this thing will cure my cancer and just having the thought um and the you know more than a thought but a a, a hard belief you oh, know, yeah. a belief to your core in every cell that this thing is gonna work mm -hmm. has been shown to have those same positive effects as the actual medication that has those effects right so this placebo effect and the power of the mind is incredible to affect everything from our daily experience to our health to our relationships right and it's so surprising to me i mean you and i know it because we've gone to school for this right, right? Uh, we studied this we studied this in ourselves but for a lot of people here in western society they don't take the time to study this and it surprises me it's almost to a point of frustration sometimes that you know people don't realize just how much you know the story that the, they tell themselves and what their mental space the the mental space that they hold day to day has so much impact Absolutely. And, and that they don't put enough emphasis on the development of mental tools you know um i see this lacking across our entire culture mm -hmm. you know the the lack of emotional regulation skills the lack of um, compartmentalization skills up in your mind, the lack of positive focus and instead being focused on negative right. news and negative feedback and negative things that are going on and how that impacts how we approach life. Right. You know, that it, all it takes is a little shift in the story that we tell ourselves as shown by the story you just told. Absolutely. Right? Real simple. Yeah, yeah. He just told himself, I am intelligent and then went on to go do those things. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So that's, I don't know, to me it's frustrating. Is it frustrating to oh, you too? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, like you said, we let so much external influence dictate who we are with the belief that the internal experience is so fixed. You know, I think the biggest issue sometimes, um, you know, probably across society is, you know, we walk around with this delusion that the most challenging aspects of ourself are there forever. Mm. And... You know, like you said, you know, we are, have a biased perspective. We have come to realize that there are things we can do to start to shift that. And through work, you know, everything takes hard work and persistence and having a flexible mindset. But, you know, if there's anything, you know, any form of belief I can help to instill in people, it's, you know, start to notice what you say to yourself. You know, and going back to that story, you know, part of me wonders, you know, what would happen if with standardized testing, if everybody was given a perfect score? You know, what would happen? Right. Yeah. Because you know, I think back to classmates that I've gotten to know and who seemed fairly intelligent, but, you know, got these test scores that were very low and just sort of that helped dictate their life trajectory wherever they wanted to go, you know, now, if it was school, if it was something lofty, they needed to sort of quell that belief based mm -hmm. on, you know, this score, mm -hmm. wherever that came from. 
Um, so yeah, you know, having those or letting those external influences dictate who we are, you know, can be a, a pretty dangerous space mm-hmm. to find ourselves in. And unfortunately, to some extent, it, it seems like it's the norm. Mm-hmm. It seems like, you know, we talked about this all the way back to our first podcast. Um, what we choose to focus on tends to grow. Mm. You know, whether it's whether we choose to focus on our uh, weaknesses and and things we need to fix, those Absolutely. things will grow in our life yeah. uh, because our attention is on them. Whereas if we shift our mindset and focus more on the positive things that we already bring to the table, our character strengths and virtues, things mm-hmm. that um, we can use to overcome weaknesses, if we focus more on those, those will tend to grow and those will tend to be the focus of our day-to-day attention absolutely yeah and i think that's the importance of having a vision you know Mm -hmm. for yourself even if it does scare you you know i think part of our mind on a subconscious or unconscious level starts to filter into things that coincide with that vision Mm -hmm. which you know is the power of you know sitting down and doing the lonely work of figuring that out you know whether it's you know using your strengths uh to figure out where you want to go but you know as soon as you do do that you know, your mind starts to take over in a way, you know, almost automatically, uh, which for me gives me comfort, you mm-hmm. know, in actually, you know, taking the time to figure out where you want to go because it's, it's worth it, you know, and I think I read, you know, statistics somewhere that, you know, 80% of people don't even have goals. Mm-hmm. And or at least effective goals. At least effective right? goals. Yeah. And there's this for those of you listening. There is this. <laughs> there's a scientifically proven way to um, set and achieve goals more readily than um, the way most people do it. You know, with very broad goals, and then they tend to fail. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. There are tactics and technical aspects we can put in place to meet those goals mm-hmm. uh, with more probability, but. You know, to me, that's just a wild statistic. You know, I don't know if it's exactly 80%. I'm sure sure it's somewhere along that spectrum. But to me, that's wild, you know, that we don't have goals. Mm -hmm. Which, where are we going then? Right. (laughs) Yeah. So you were talking earlier about about this, um, you know, this inner dialogue, this inner story that we tell ourselves based on, you know, one of these components is accomplishment. Right? Mm-hmm. So based on accomplishment, um, you know, we tell ourselves this new story about what we're capable of, right? In the case of this story, this guy had an accomplishment of uh, supposed 1,600 perfect score on an SAT, so his story changed. Right. You know, I see this, and I'm sure you see this all the time, and this has been uh, in the news for, I don't know, the last decade about, um, you know, especially in youth sports, you know, youth participating in sports and then everybody gets a gold medal or everybody gets a trophy or um you know that wasn't the way when i when i was growing up um you know everyone on the team got something but the higher performers got an extra bonus right so Mm -hmm. there was some incentive yeah whereas these days it seems like no matter how you perform as a youth everybody gets the same accolades right and so how does that how do you see that playing into the development of their psychology into adulthood if they're constantly being told you know you can continue to suck at something and still get trophies and awards and still be praised um for you know for failure in some cases mm-hmm. or for yeah. for not measuring up to your peers um do you feel like you know th- i know some of the concern out there is that if we continue to to go about it this way and and constantly give people these awards for not doing much that they're gonna uh, grow up to be entitled that they're gonna feel like things need to be handed to them that Mm -hmm. their incentive to work hard and to strive for excellence is going to be reduced Um, others on the other side say that you know everybody needs a pat on the back everybody needs to feel valued everybody needs to feel um, like they're contributing in some way, whether they are or not, you know, that somehow it's going to instill this sense of, uh, personal value. Right. Um, so what are your, what are your thoughts on that? I feel like I've thought about it, you know, quite a bit before. I feel like I do go back and forth, um, because I do have some personal experience. I used to coach locally a flag football team and one of their, 
techniques was to, you know, provide each kid with a, a sticker, a ribbon, a medal, some type of award after every game, regardless of the outcome. Mm-hmm. And I've seen the benefit of that, you know, because when you are five, six years old, you know, that can be an important aspect. You know, you get something to bring home, you show your parents, your siblings. I understand the positive impact of that. But on the flip side, I do wonder, you know, what are the long-term repercussions of that? Because, you know, we do live in a world where things are not handed to us. And, you know, your ability to manage adversity, you know, not only manage adversity, but to consistently manage adversity is absolutely key for success. You know, and is the practice of giving somebody an award despite how hard they worked, despite what the outcome is, beneficial, you know, in the long term. I'm not sure. You know, part of me thinks that it it's not because we do, you know, I read in the news quite a bit that, you know, currently, you know, especially in the corporate space, there's a lot of cultural rifts because, you know, you have the older generation now clashing with what might be called the millennials. And, you know, what you said is one of the big issues of managing millennials is they feel entitled, you know, they do expect some type of reward regardless of how dedicated or how hard they've worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in terms of, you know, how we think about performance enhancement, you know, I do think that is an issue because it can create a space where we're just not our best. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes those rewards without, you know, the right doing uh, can be detrimental, you know, if you start to internalize it, which probably some people are doing, mm-hmm. I feel like, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And so you talk about overcoming adversity too and how, you know, in my opinion, overcoming adversity and challenge is one of the staples of personal growth, you know? So in, in my, in my opinion, you know, for me personally, I make the biggest strides in personal growth after challenges. Mm-hmm. You know, I learn the most about myself after mistakes and I integrate those things into my life to become better, you know? Um, but that takes me back to, you know, the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Um, right. That, you know, if, if we're constantly, you know, giving people accolades for things um, that they may not have earned or whatever, um, and then they do experience failure, and then all of a sudden in the adult world, maybe they get fired because they didn't perform, mm-hmm. you know, um, if someone is engaging this, this idea of a fixed mindset, they may experience one failure and then take it personally and say, I'm a complete failure. I'm going to be a failure for the rest of my life. Right. I failed at this one thing, and therefore, you know, I'm no good at it, right? Whereas someone with a growth mindset would experience the same circumstances, the same failure, and then find the silver lining in it, find the learning in it, find the opportunity for growth and say, mm-hmm. okay, I failed at this one thing. How can I get better at this? How is this failure going to make me better in other areas? How is overcoming this failure going to impact me um, not only in my job but, you know, for the rest of my life? Right. You know? Oh, yeah. You know, failures are incredibly beneficial if you're willing to take the appropriate steps. You know, failing for the sake of failing probably isn't of much benefit, especially if you don't take the time to reflect upon it. Mm-hmm. But you can learn so much from a failure, you know, and then taking what you've learned, you know, building an understanding around it and then mobilizing that understanding to uh, adapt your next approach is you know, I find that is even more valuable than success Mm -hmm. to some extent. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Yeah. We talked about that in the last podcast too, that I seem to gain more, more substance for my life from Mm -hmm. failure than I do success. Success just kind of validates that what I was doing was right, which is great feedback. Absolutely. Helps me to continue to do what's right. But when I fail at something, it really, Mm -hmm involves a much deeper level of introspection yeah and you know to some extent i think the natural tendency is to as best we can avoid failure because you know we live in a culture where you know who we are is so connected to what we do Mm -hmm. 
And when we fail in the thing of what we do, like you said, you know, we self-identify it. If I, you know, get fired from my job or I lose a game, I fail a class, you know, that automatically envelops the whole self. I'm a complete failure. And, you know, as soon as that happens, it becomes really hard to go find your best self again and, you know, you know, kick off the dust and just keep going again. Uh, yeah, you know, and I find that that can be a very challenging space to train people through. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of training people, both you and I do this as a profession, right? right? Yeah. So we, we recognize the importance of the mind as a, as an influencer in Mm -hmm. our lives. And you and I work very hard to not only, you know, we practice what we preach, right? So we do. Try to. Right. So we (laughs) we try and, you and I are constantly reevaluating our own states, trying to grow, but also helping other people to, you know, um, take a look at how their mind is currently working how it's not working in their favor, make little adjustments so that their mind can work better for them. Absolutely, yeah. And so, you know, transitioning a little bit, you know, you you and I met because of our shared interest in sport and performance psychology. Um, Would you mind sharing with the audience uh, sort of how you got interested in the field of sports psychology in the first place? Yeah. Um, What sort of, what what drew you, um, what interested you, what, pulled you into this field of studying optimal performance? Uh, well, I guess to some extent. Because you were an athlete, right? Yeah, I, that's probably where it started. You know, I always played sports since I was real young. You know, I uh, played hockey for probably 15 years. And, you know, and then I feel like I dabbled in almost anything, whether it was football or golf or cross country, which I guess... It was a bit of a horrendous experience, but I made it through. Uh, so I always loved sports. Um, there was a period in my life where, and this is probably really common, but I was unsure what I wanted to do. But I started to have a think about what am I interested in? You know, without a doubt, it was sport. You know, it, when I went to undergraduate, you know, I did stop playing sports on a competitive level. Um, but I felt like I always wanted to stay involved in some capacity. And I was always interested in the mind. You know, I had a, I was in a psychology program. At the time, I had no idea what I wanted to do with that. But I had taken a sports psychology course, and uh, I think it was called a human performance course. And I started to connect the dots to the fact that our mind plays a real significant role in anything. And to me at the time... You know, it's such a big truth for me now, but at the time it was like, oh, wow. You know, that's such a new thought Mm. to have that what you think and, you know, the habits you instill for your mindset plays a big role. You know, I had always grown up, you know, under the assumption that confidence uh, or focus uh, or you know, being supremely motivated was something you either had or didn't have. Mm-hmm. You know, you just go be confident. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a big epiphany for me to come to the realization that confidence wasn't something you had or didn't have. It was something you could create mm-hmm. through training. And I thought that was, you know, awesome. And, you know, something that I wished I would have had at a younger age. So I started to explore some of those techniques for myself and, you know, I started to use goal setting, you know, as a means of being more successful throughout my undergraduate experience. You know, I had never even had a planner. I had never even wrote down my assignments or what I needed to do. I just kept it in my mind Mm -hmm. all through high school, um, which inevitably got me into a trap in college I started to you know my grades started to go down because it was harder there's a lot more to manage and as soon as I started to use some of these high performance habits it started to make a big difference <laughs> in my life you know it was uh, so you had real eye opening yeah. so you had success yeah. with some of these techniques before even deciding to pursue it as a profession I did yeah 
but I also started to come to the realization like, well, how can I help educate people, you know, with these techniques? How can I help people? You know, mm -hmm. Because I felt like that was always somewhat of a passion for me to be able to help people. Um, but how can I use my own innate passions to help people? You know, I sort of found myself navigating the medical field, came to the realization real quick that uh, that probably wasn't for me. You know, I didn't took a, a human anatomy class where we uh, dissected cadavers. You know, that was pretty Sounds much fun like, to me. <laughs> pretty much like, yeah, I'm okay not doing this mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what what is something where I can continue to, you know, use what I'm interested in in an effective way. And I inevitably found the program in Scotland, which for me, you know, changed the whole pathway. Nice. I feel like for what I wanted to do. Yeah. And thankfully, you know, now that I'm doing it, you know, I try to, you know, uh, take a moment to reflect upon it. And, you know, I am able to, I come to the realization that I really like what I do, which is a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's so many people out there doing things that they don't enjoy. Yeah. You know, that was sort of the, th the theme of the advice given in the last podcast is that if you're unhappy with what you're doing, mm. you need to wake up and start pursuing what really makes you happy. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and not only the positive side of that, but maybe the negative side was, you know, I did come to the realization that I didn't want to sit in an office you know, under UV lights uh, from nine to five, because mm -hmm. I was doing that. You know, I was in the IT field. You know, grinding forty hours a week in something that I wasn't necessarily passionate about, um, and thankfully, came to the conclusion that you know, hey, this is something that probably doesn't fit mm -hmm. well. You know, so. Thankfully, I yeah, started to explore other ways to do that. Yeah, well, I'm yeah. glad you found that path. Yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. Um, so I want to I want to shine a little light on some of uh, some of your research that was particularly interesting to me. And um, you know, when when I first met you, Tom, you, I mean, you, when you reached out to me, you and I connected right away on uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Yeah, right. Because mm -hmm. I'd been doing it for a number of years by then. That was a strong interest for future research for me. And you shared with me that you had done um, a project on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in particular, right. which I thought was fascinating for a number of reasons. Number one, because it was in a you know in a sport that I did. Number two, because um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has not been studied um, very extensively, and I feel like it's ripe for opportunities. Not only because it's a physical sport, but because it's more of a cognitive sport than a physical sport. Mm -hmm. And so we get to we we have the opportunity to study the constructs of the mind maybe a little bit more readily than other sports. So I was wondering if you could share with with the audience a little bit about. Uh, what your project was with uh, these Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu athletes and what conclusions yeah. you came to. Absolutely. You know, it's just by happenstance I got involved with BJJ because personally that was a sport that I had never been involved with. You know, I had never really dabbled in any combat sports. I'd always been interested. You know, my dad had every Bruce Lee film that was ever made, mm -hmm. so I felt like I always grew up with an appreciation for it. But I had never been really in it. So I was thankful to have two partners who at the time were uh, involved with a local gym in Edinburgh where they would go roll at. So thankfully it provided a good venue for us to start to unpack the concept of self-talk and how it affects our performance. So a big chunk of what we did, we would go into the gym and uh, set up scenarios where uh, two fighters would spar and we encouraged them to spar on a level that was as close to competition as could be. So pretty intense. So pretty intense, yeah. And as they would do that, we would videotape them and then following that session, we would have each fighter watch their videotape and try to verbalize or talk out loud what they might have been thinking in those moments. And it was fascinating, you know, uh, not only what was said between the differences in skill levels, but just what goes on in the mind during something that is 
physically and mentally exhausting was and has the potential for life life threat right absolutely and you know for me again you know not having any background in combat sports it was really eye-opening you know to see what it takes and you know what's ticking you know in the background of those movements what were some of the conclusions that you found based on like the 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 difference in skill level and what what the quality of the thoughts were um we did find that the more skilled fighters were able to maintain a much calmer mental landscape Mm -hmm. for sure um and by calm do you mean absence of thought or do you mean more positive oriented thoughts um not necessarily positive i think and this is a concept I've learned recently by one of my other mentors, but a lot of it was real objective or mm. non-negative based. So factual. Factual. Like, this is happening, yeah. therefore I need to do exactly. this. Exactly. You know, they would do a lot of internal appraising. You know, mm. they would recognize that this hurts and I'm really uncomfortable, but where can I direct my focus that's to my benefit? Something and a lot of the time it was on tactics, you know, mm. technical aspects of what they needed to do in that moment. Um, but one of the most fascinating things I did come across that was verbalized by one of the fighters who was probably the most skilled you know, in the gym was he would pay attention to his opponents. And with BJJ, I think it provides a unique atmosphere you know, as opposed to hockey or basketball or football where you are in such a close-knit environment with your opponent that you can pick up a bounty of information of what they might be thinking. And one of the cues that he picked up on was their breathing. You know, Mm -hmm. he would not only use his breath, you know, to calm himself down and sort of appraise his current performance level, but he would pay attention to his opponent's breath. And when their uh, respiration rate would elevate or it seemed like they were panicking, you know, that was the end. You know, that was the moment he was going to, go for it he was going to capitalize on that yeah you know and what i learned with bjj is you know the most skilled fighters aren't necessarily you know the strongest the most flexible the most have the most stamina but it's the ones who most effectively manage their internal experience Mm -hmm. and for him Mm -hmm. using his opponent's internal experience to his benefit uh was his bread and butter butter technique Mm -hmm. You know, which was yeah. cool to hear. So there's two things that I picked out there that, that I think are fascinating uh, that I love about this is that, you know, with the less skilled fighters, um, it seems like their thought orientation was more um, focused on emotional. Oh, yeah. So like, uh, you know, white belt gets put, you know, someone puts them in a heavy side control from the top, you know, where they're crushing their lungs uh, maybe smashing their shoulder into their face so they can't move, mm-hmm. and that lower belt, their focus will be more on, oh my God, this is this is feeling terrible, and this is creating this emotional response, and I'm more focused on the danger and the right. fear and stuff. Whereas a more advanced belt will still have a little twinge, uh, a little recognition of the danger, right. but that their focus is more task oriented. It's like, what can I do next that's going to be productive to get me out of this situation? You know, I already feel this way. You know, Absolutely. the best way to not feel this way is to change my situation. Mm-hmm. And so they do that. I find that fascinating. The second thing I found fascinating was, um, it's just something I've been reading up on recently and I'd like to read more into it. Um, this idea, uh, it was put out. I forget the the gentleman who put this out, but he was uh, he was a, a jet fighter pilot, I think, during World War II, and he created this framework of strategy in the mind for combat called the OODA loop, the mm. O O D A loop, and it's all about you know I'm, I'm going to do a terrible job summarizing <laughs> this, and I'm not going to get into details. Maybe in a later podcast I will, but the whole basis of the OODA loop is disrupting the feedback loop of your opponent such that you can capitalize in that moment of confusion, right? right. So for him as an Air Force pilot doing dogfights up in the air, Jeez. very tactical, yeah. and it was less about what you're doing to affect the outcome as it is to disrupt what your opponent is doing, mm-hmm. you know, disrupt their game plan, set them back on their heels, and then in that moment capitalize, right? Right, Which sounds exactly what, what you observed with mm-hmm. these advanced people is, you know, they notice in their opponent when that 
attack loop is disrupted. Right. And now they're Moments on the defensive. Of opportunity. The moment, and yeah. that's all it is, is a moment. And you have mm-hmm. to be able to recognize that and use it to your advantage. So I find that fascinating. Right. Um, so in the last five minutes that we have on the podcast, I wanted to, you know, we've been talking about some very deep topics, so yeah, it's very yeah, impactful yeah. stuff, and For I'd like sure. to lighten it up a little bit, um, uh, just get a little personal. So you and I um, both went through huge transitions in our life. We both recently got married. We did. So congratulations. Yeah. Um, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so I got married uh, two weeks ago tomorrow. And you got married in the last couple of weeks as well. Two weeks ago today. Two weeks ago today. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. So um, for you, you know, how's that been so far? How's the experience of marriage been? It's been awesome. Um, you know, for me, I think, although marriage might be, you know, such a big transition throughout the human experience, if we are, you know, lucky enough to experience that. Um, but for me... Uh, Honestly, it was such an easy decision because, you know, the person that uh, I did marry is, is such an incredible person who, you know, I think makes me want to be a better person on a daily basis, you know, so it was, it just fit, you yeah. know, so I, I think part of me always wondered like, oh, it's going to feel so different because, you know, this big thing just happened, mm-hmm. but uh, at the end of the day, you know, I, I feel the same and, and even more connected mm-hmm. you know, to my partner because she's uh, such an incredible person. Mm-hmm. And I just, if there's anything I can do, you know, throughout, you know, the time that we are married is, is just to be grateful for uh, each day, you know, that we do get to spend together. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, everything is uh it's just awesome <laughs> it's yeah. it's been awesome you know to sum it up it's yeah yeah so i i felt consider myself very fortunate yeah and i felt the same way you know um you know it's only been two weeks uh, but <laughs> yeah. but going into my wedding going into my marriage um it just felt right yeah you know um mm-hmm. And even at my bachelor party a couple of weeks before that, you know, I had my brother and my best friends who are married already. And, you know, not only them, but um, other people in my life who knew I was getting married or getting married, um, they all had something very similar to, to say or ask to me, which is, you know, they'd say, oh, once you get married, it all changes. And, you know, um, so almost like they're trying to instill this fear in me. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe that's what they experience, or maybe that's what most people experience. But for me, it was the complete opposite. Like it yeah. was just so easy, so smooth. Um, very little fear, you know. Um, for sure. And almost like a weight has been lifted from exactly because it, it's like now I've, I don't know. We we're in such a better space yeah. now, and now we can. You know, grow expo- together. Explore, yeah, what the next level of growth looks like yeah. for ourselves. Yeah, for sure. And well, that's that's good, uh, good encouragement for those who are asking, yeah. asking themselves whether this is a yeah, right decision. Absolutely. And I, I, you know, similar to you know you, I, I had asked you know the people around me who were married, you know, what's a chunk of advice you could give me? Mm-hmm. And the best piece of advice was from one of my good buddies who actually said, uh, "Don't let it change you," because. It doesn't have to yeah. if you don't want it to. It's good. Yeah, which I thought was, you know, wow, that's pretty insightful. Yeah. So hopefully I will continue to hold on to that. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I want to thank you, Tom, for being on the podcast today. Absolutely. Uh, hope to have you back in the future. We have a lot to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like we're just scratching the surface here. Yeah. Um, I want to remind all of our listeners that, um, you know, we are, uh, you know, we get this message out with your help. So please like and share our podcast. If you have any questions or comments for myself or my guest, please reach out to me at mindops.com. That's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com and leave a comment or question. I believe you can also do so on the podcast venue itself. Um, Tom, again, I want to thank you for for coming on. Um, Thanks, Shane. It was was a pleasure. And um, just real quick, uh, can you shoot out your email in the last 30 seconds if people want to reach out to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, If you want to reach me, uh, my Instagram handle is infinitecoach. Uh, My business is infiniteperformance. And if you wanted to... Uh, connect with me more learn more about what I do uh, it's infinite performance coach at gmail.com great
Great. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. I really appreciate it. And um, to those listeners that listened today, thank you very much. And we'll see you next time on the next episode of Conversations with the Mind. Have a good day.